Welcome to Wheels, Deals, and Meals, where we talk all things good food, good business, and good cars. And now, here is your host, Arnold Gasita, founder and CEO of Petra Automotive Products. Let's roll. So your wife is pregnant, you have a daughter, you quit your yep. job, and you call Dale. Yeah. And I said, Dale, I got the most exciting news. I, I'm going to go ahead and be a coach and a trainer, and I want to come down and share with you what I've got. And uh, so he said, great. He invited me down. Uh, after I did the presentation, which was probably hurried, probably in 15, 20 minutes, he basically said, I'm going to pass. <laughs> he didn't say, hey, could you give me a discount? He didn't say, I'll give you a shot. I just said, I'm going to pass. He said, but I'm going to do you a You're favor. You're my friend. I'll do it for you. No, none yeah. of that. I'm gonna do you a favor, I'm gonna introduce you to a guy that you really need to know. I said, great. It's this guy named John Palumbi. And um, so I called this guy up, John. I said, Dale referred you to me. He says, great, yeah, let's have lunch. So I thought, okay, this is gonna open up some big doors. Well, I sit down with John for lunch and the first thing he says to me is he says, hey, David, nice to meet you. He says, first thing I gotta let you know, you've made a big mistake. Okay, and you're thinking, okay, I just left a job making you know 12 grand a month. Uh, which was, I mean, think about that, in 1986, right, 86. So that was tall cotton, uh, especially for somebody uh, my age. I was all of 26, dripping wet. And uh, and so he tells me that. I said, what are you talking about? He says, hey, I've been doing this for over 20 years. It's a hard life. It's a hard job, blah, blah, blah. Well, I sat there, and, and the more he spoke, Arnold, the more I thought, okay, I think you're threatened. I think you don't want competition. I think you're telling me not because for my own benefit, you don't know me. I think you're telling me because somehow you don't want the pie to get sliced. So it just it just increased my resolve. And I'm very much that way. You know, I, if somebody says you can't, yeah, I'm going to. So I left that meeting with greater resolve. The, the, the cool thing about the story is that I um, followed up, I stayed on Dale, and about three weeks later he hired me. And he paid me the, th the three grand a month. And so that's kind of how I started there. And I, st I spent the next two years building a training clientele, coaching clientele. And also I had the first piece of software I ever had, which was one of the earliest pieces of software in our business, called the Win System. It was the first CRM system. So uh, next thing you know, you know, I'm two years in, I'm I went from making 145 to nothing. I got that business within two years up over 200,000. And I'm starting to travel around the country. I was on something called ASTN, Automotive Satellite mm -hmm. Television Network, mm -hmm. with a guy named Grant Cardone, people may know. Uh, you know, and I mean, Zig Ziglar would be on there, Tom Stuker. And so I, I got introduced to a lot of those uh, folks. I've known Grant for 30 something years. And, um, and so that was the start. And then all of a sudden, one of my clients happened to be a, a Mercedes store in San Jose, uh, Smythe European. And the son of the owner, um, uh, the patriarch, son of the patriarch, Michael, a great guy, um, is who I worked with. He was the GM at the time. And back when we had, this is when we had pagers. Mm -hmm. And he kept wanting me to come to work for him. I said, Michael, I do my own thing. I have my own schedule and I make good money. Right, I'm good. So I get a page one day and it says uh, 
5200, the phone number, 911-911-911. So I picked up the phone, I called him, he says, you have to come in, we need to talk, okay? So I didn't know what, you're gonna fire me as, a, as your consultant or coach or whatever. They had the wind system in there, they were also a software client. He says, David, he says, this is what's happening. He introduced me to a plan that I'm not gonna go over, but he had this 10 <laughs> year plan. And he says, I need you to come in. And, I, and by then, I was spending too much time on the road. Uh, I had a son now, as well as a daughter. And it was just the right time. So imagine this, I went from 145 grand a year to zero to over 200. And then what did he offer me? 143 grand a year, right? So people think I'm nuts because I made money, I went backwards, made more, went down. And so I ended up there, but within a couple of years, that more than doubled. You know, we were able to grow the dealership, increase sales massively, had a tremendous uh, team, and it gave me the opportunity to go from being a sales manager to a GSM. And then what happened is that led to me uh, becoming the general manager and president of the store. Michael, uh, Bill wanted to sell the store uh, at the time because we had very favorable back then uh, estate taxes. And the, the uh, I, mean, I mean, we had very bad estate taxes. So if he sold the store, the capital gains was less money than the estate. Than the estate. He had six kids. He, all he cared about was taking care of those kids and really, really tremendous family. And so uh, I ended up, you know, as the president and, and the dealer there, and we ended up selling to AutoNation. Um, and then I was at AutoNation my third month in. So let me go back a little bit because I think we're skipping some very important points that I know and I think are important. You're at this dealership, you're the uh, general manager. Are you a partner at this point or just general manager? No. General manager, you had what percentage of uh, loyalty from your employees? What percentage would quit on you? None. None. I, I actually did a LinkedIn post, Arnold, maybe about a year, year and a half ago. I actually went 20 years without losing an employee in a business that had 89% turnover. But if you looked at our year over year on balance, our turnover annually was under 3% in, a, in an industry at that time was 89%. And I, but I think in any industry, not just automotive, automotive obviously is high, the dealership world is high, but in any industry, a 3% turnover is- Astonishing. It's, it, it, people will be talking about it, raving about it, unbelievable culture. It's astonishing, and I, I owe that really to a couple of things. Number one was, was the Smythe family, you know, that wasn't lip service, it wasn't a mission statement, an empty mission statement. Uh, you know, it wasn't just a narrative, it was just, that was the culture. So we really believed to take care of people. The thing that was interesting is, you know, we're the most profitable dealership. We created the most profitable store in the United States and didn't have the highest paid manager in any position, but nobody would leave because the culture, the way that people were treated with dignity and respect, the way everybody had a voice, the way everybody got to be a co-architect of this store. You know, we had, we grew um, our management team up to a total of 21 incredibly talented people. You know, really my role was to uh, 
knock down obstacles and get out of the way and let them do their thing. And one of the things Bill Smythe taught Which is me, a great culture. And, and Michael uh, always supported, is don't hire people and tell them how to do their job. Let them do their job. And I find even today, there's a lot of people that hire somebody to do a job and then spend all their time telling them how to do their job. And that's really an indictment that you've hired the wrong person, or frankly, you're not allowing them to be, do what they do best. That's right. And so this was yet another time, you know, it's interesting, you grow up and you have a hard start, a hard life, but I was blessed with like the greatest mom in the world. You know, I was blessed with somebody telling me to join the military. I was blessed with meeting a, ch a chaplain when I was in nuclear power school in Orlando that really helped me at a critical time in my life uh, directionally. You know, I was blessed with an older sister that when when I was going off the rail, she really took me under her wing and made sure that certain things happened so that I stayed on course. I was blessed with you know, great siblings that no matter what turmoil we went through, um, you know, we never separated. Like we were always like this. And, um, and then time and time again, it seemed like I, you know, it was blessed meeting somebody and, and by the grace of God, having the wisdom to just listen to them and say, and I've told people this, when you go interview for a job, make sure the, the, the company's not the only one involved in the interview. You have to interview them too, because I think one of the biggest mistakes some people make is they just take a job instead of the job. And and the job doesn't necessarily mean and, the and most you know, And that's money. a great point because, and you're also, you're joining that culture, mm -hmm. right? They're not necessarily joining your culture, you're joining the company's culture, so you should ask questions. My culture. My job was just to protect it, to grow it, to nurture it. My job, was to make sure that we as a team never, ever, ever, and this is another big deal, you never let anybody in the organization, they'd be the greatest salesperson, greatest technician, greatest manager, you know, be able to do all these great things. But if they in any way, shape or form are going to diminish your culture, you know, or bring a toxic uh, environment, you don't bring them on. Our job is like gatekeepers, is to protect that culture once you've built it. And that's really, this team of managers that was there was magical. Um, uh, uh, Brian Nelson, John, John Seidler, Kelly Cornder, uh, Peter Vanderhoof, uh, Michael Familetti was there at, at one point. We had just spectacular human beings who had a common vision and a, and a, a focus that wanted to deliver the most exceptional experience, not just to our clients, but for each other. You know, and it was just incredible. Um, and so, one of the things that was really astounding to me is when we when we sold to AutoNation, I thought for sure, here you buy the most profitable dealership in the United States, this, and not just the most profitable, so, can lowest turnover. Can we talk about the number, or we can't? Yeah. So, well, so what was the most profitable dealership in the United States doing? Well. The average store, let's start here. The average store in the United States, if you look it up, was doing less than a million dollars a year in net. A top 25% store would be doing over a million dollars. If you were a top 25% Mercedes store, you might be doing $2 million. Okay, we were doing $25 million. A we year, did the last, Yeah, the last year I was there, we did over 29 
million dollars. We averaged over two million a month. We averaged we averaged twice as much a month as the average dealer did per year. Unbelievable. And we outgrew uh, the Mercedes national numbers, Mercedes regional numbers, by anywhere from thirty-five to sixty percent. And what a lot of people don't realize is. You know, I went to go see this uh, incredible guy named Jay Abraham, who's uh, considered by many to be the, the greatest marketing guru of all time. He he was Tony Robbins to this day. is still Tony Robbins guy, Stephen Covey, Stephen M. Covey, and God knows everybody else. But I went to see him, spent $30,000 for a weekend seminar, which I thought was bananas. <laughs> but it was the best thing I ever did because I came back and one of the things I did is sat down with our folks and said, we're gonna eliminate advertising. And people thought I was nuts. You imagine a car dealer with no advertising. Yeah, especially budget. like that. Yes, so we, had, we cut the advertising, we created something called Seeds, My Therapy and Empowerment Drive, which we instead gave the ad dollars to, we, we uh, our area of influence was nine zip codes. We picked a nonprofit in each of those nine zip codes. They were selected not by me, not by the managers, but by the associates who formed a committee, sat down, interviewed every one of these nonprofits. They selected the, the they nine. They were part of the decision making. Mm -hmm. They were co-architects. And what happened is, here we are, we eliminate advertising, the store grows massively, the fixed operations department grows from 30 techs to over 100, uh, over 2, 2.3, 2.4 million a month in fixed gross unheard of to this day. Find a store that does that. So under 3% turnover, top five in F&I, top five in CPO, number five in Mercedes, number one or two in Volvo, um, and, and absolutely the single best culture, the single greatest, no offense, group of people you could ever imagine coming together, many of which uh, still communicate or connect to this day. And it was just a really magical time. So we get acquired and I thought the first thing was gonna happen is that somebody would sit down and go, okay, you've got to explain. We've got a bunch of other stores in the country. You've got to tell us, how'd you do this? But that's not what happened. What happened instead is the very first meeting was, okay, listen, I know you get a special store. You know, Bill Smythe's great, Michael's great. Um, and you've done some incredible things, but there are no, no hall passes or no sacred cows in AutoNation. So you're going to do the same things every other store does. Okay, so, well, long story. The other story, stores aren't making 23 million, so you need to do the same thing the other stores are doing. And guess what? It makes no sense, right? If you look at the numbers, you know, that store went from making 1.3 to 3.1 to 5.6 to 8.1, 12.8, 16.7, 24.7, 7, 29 million. And then four or five years later, after acquisition, it's about to making under 10 again. It started acting like other stores. And you know, one of the other real key lessons that I learned in that store is, you know, you don't want to do what other people are doing. Whatever everybody else is doing, if they're going this way, run that way. You know, it and I, I just I, think that it's I, I was that involved you don't in a, do what I was involved is prior to opening Petra and I begin of the story with a very large company. And I, it always amazed me how they would pay so much money to acquire a successful business and then come tell you 
how not to make it successful and follow these other guidelines to change what they wanted and purchased. Sure. Which is what, uh, what happened with AutoNation. I remember when AutoNation first came out, not, not to dig on them, but you know, dealerships still today, I think it's a very community type business. When they first came around, what did they do? Change the names, right? Then they realized, well, we can't change the name. We should keep the name of the people that were buying because people, it's community. It's local. Everything is local. Yeah, it's amazing how many AutoNation stores, um, their market share diminished. And a lot of those market uh, AutoNation stores, we had a difficult time competing for market share against the mom and pops who were able to be far more agile, responsive, and they kept their direct ties to the community. When we were acquired, you know, we lost that community connection because it wasn't part of the plan. And make no mistake, AutoNation did an awful lot of things right. Mike Jackson's a brilliant guy. Mike Maroney is a brilliant guy. And they were great leaders um, that flat knew this business. But it's difficult to run a dealership from 3,500 miles away. You know, it's different, difficult to cookie cutter. And it's very difficult to try to create something to where you're trying to protect yourself from catastrophe, some knucklehead making a bad decision. But by doing that, you're constricting the entrepreneurs, the go-getters, the movers and shakers, and the top performers. And so, you know, we ended up losing a lot of those uh, uh, top performers over time. And um, it was just not, not easy to keep them because you yeah, know, it, it, it just the, changed. The Everything changed. changed. The culture changed. Everything changed. How long did you stay with them? Eight years. You know, and I consider it. Um, I consider it an MBA. It was my MBA <laughs> in in the car business. You know, because yeah. you know, I think that we learned a lot and we did a lot of good things. But there were things that I learned in those eight years that are without a, without a doubt um, things that I would not have known. And I definitely got better, I got stronger, I got smarter, I got wiser. Um, you know, one of the things that was really important is, I think in any walk of life, I think oftentimes we humans make the grave error of, of not being able to disassociate the message from the person or the message or the accomplishment from the company, right? So let's say that you're a, a Democrat, you know, and you say, oh, Trump's an absolute piece of garbage, blah, blah, blah. Okay. That does not diminish in any way that that guy flat knows how to make a deal. Period. Get over yourself. He knows how to make a deal. It doesn't diminish the fact that he understands how to do things to drive the economy or he's going to look at things differently. Is it foreign to some people? Yeah. Is it uncomfortable to others? Sure. Um, does he do everything right? No. Is he a bit of a numbskull when it comes to social Twitter and the, absolutely. Um, but same thing on the Republican side. You can't say just because, you know, you're a staunch Republican that there's not people on the other side of the aisle that have worthwhile things to offer. You gotta be able to separate those, those two. So I think that we make the mistake, just like you were talking about in the big company you worked for, why do we feel the need to change things in a way that makes us comfortable. Why is it that we believed, you know, perhaps through Especially growing when up, it's working. Why, why? That's what always boggled why, me. Why, when did the terms normal, average, and comfortable 
get glorified. Right, become right? successful. Who does? Who wants to be average? I don't want to be average. The great Jackie B. Cooper out of Oklahoma told me one time to my face, he's the David, he says, he's apologize for the accent. This is why I'm not a, a successful actor. He said, David, he says, you know what average is? I said, no, Jackie, what is it? He said, well, when you're average, David, that means you're the best of the worst and the worst of the best. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty shitty. Um, you know, I don't, you don't want to put that on a resume or a business card right, or a right, billboard. Right. I'm average. Right? Hire me because I'm I, your I average mean, joke. I just nailed for me how much I don't want to be average. Okay. I also don't want to be normal. Right. I don't want to subscribe to everybody's ideals. Um, and my belief is, listen, if, if you could show me that your dealership is in the, at least at the top of the market, if not the top of the region, top of the nation, okay, I'm here to tell you, if you are, there's more there. You're still not there. There's more there. You're leaving money on the table. But if you're not, please explain to me why you think and you're willing to stand on the mat saying, no, what we're doing is the right thing to do. Unless you're also telling me you set out to be suboptimal, substandard, or just average, right? I mean, if you're at NADH, left side of the page, right side of the page, who said they want to be just right or left of the crease? If it's NADH, top of the page, bottom of the page, hey, we're in the middle. Okay, we're good. We're in the middle, right? It's... I don't. I don't get that, Arnold. I think. I, don't I think that I seek it's, it's, being discomfort. I, I seek discomfort. You know, in our company, we say that we strive for perfection. We had an employee one time tell me, "Well, you know, we're not perfect." I said, "Yeah, <laughs> no, we're striving. We're striving for perfection." I get it. We're not perfect. We're striving. I go because what are you going to strive for? To be normal? Yeah. Are you going to strive to make mistakes? Because we all make mistakes. Because we're just no, no, no. We're going to strive. To be the best. Yeah, hey, you want to be. Geez, I'd rather be ninety percent of awesome yeah. than you know than a hundred percent of average. <laughs> right. What do you do with that? Right. So, right. Yeah. So I, did you did you leave AutoNation and start, and then that's when you started kind of going back into your own business? Yeah. So so when I left AutoNation in January of '08, myself and my uh, buddy Frank Sheets, who is also a Mercedes operator. Um, you know, I had been a data junkie for years and I started creating all of these uh, uh, analytics and reports by hand back in, before Excel, Lotus 1, 2, 3. And, you know, I, there was a number of things that helped propel us at our dealership. And one of them was uh, we invested a tremendous amount of money in our people, about a quarter million a year in something called the Pacific Institute, uh, Lou Tice, God rest his soul. The second thing was we were, we were um, absolute staunch protectors of our culture. You know, um, three, uh, we uh, did not, we had a commitment to, to do the opposite. You know, we just, we were willing to fail. We're willing to try things, we're willing to fail. Another thing is, is you know, that, that we did not necessarily have the same management philosophy as most stores did. And part of that was the fact that I was really convinced that data, nobody was talking about data back then in the 90s or, or even early 2000s. But I was convinced if you had better data, better insights, better information, your managers, if you believe that they really want to do their best uh, inherently, they're going to have better information to make better decisions to get a better outcome. And that, that was a big, big part of that, Arnold. So, you know, we, at that time, I I left in January of 08, and Frank and I decided to start a company called Reverse Risk. 
that really leveraged all of the data that I had been creating. And then Frank had created a really spectacular monthly financial statement meeting. We kind of joined forces uh, in, in our approaches. And then uh, Frank uh, had somebody that, that he was working, that was working with him at one point, Laura, who was absolutely brilliant, taught herself coding and was an absolute genius when it came to DMS and data mapping. And basically that we collectively, you know, uh, invented reverse risk. So um, I did the concept, Frank supplemented it, Laura helped bring it to life. It initially was an absolute crappy program with a crappy looking program, but I took it to the market and it was still a million times better than anything anybody had, was able to get the first 20 clients on it. And, and then from there was able to build it up. Now keep in mind, this is January 08. Okay. Beginning of the worst recession we've right, ever right, had. Right, 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 right. And, um, so anyways, we started there, um, in 2000, 10 Cox was interested in buying us. We barely had any customers. We just started 30, maybe 25, 30 customers, but they really loved what we built. And so I met with uh, Chip and Steve Greenfield. That's how I met Steve Greenfield way back in the day and super smart people. It didn't make sense for us to do a deal, but Steve said, hey, do you happen to know Paul Folletti at NCM, the CEO? And I said, no. So he introduced us, long story boring, Paul and I met up at a Delta Lounge in Salt Lake City. He loved what we built and we ended up uh, doing a partnership. So NCM became a partner company of ours in 2012. And, and from 2012 to 2016, in those four years, we went from about 60 clients to over 900 clients. And today, still today, I'm very proud of the fact that Reverse Risk is still the dominant reporting and analytics platform that's relied upon by, you know, thousands of dealers out there, and, and it's uh, still a spectacular product. So that kind of got me hooked on the power of building solutions to help dealers. And since then, uh, built another one that we sold. I can't say who it was sold to, <coughs> um, another strategic, and and now have built another five since then. So I've learned so much in the process of incubating concept, building, developing, growing, exiting, that I, I ended up spending about a year with uh, Alan Hayes. There's, there's something about you that I've always, you know, as I've met you and got to know you, um, you're always looking at what's next. Yes. You're always I have a company called What's Next. Do you really? <laughs> you're okay, so you're always looking at what's next. That's a core belief. You're, you're you're always thinking about what can happen. Um, you're not afraid of it. You take change. You take the bull by the horns, um, and, and but but you also teach it, right? So so you do all these things in real life. You have your business. You develop businesses you worked for a successful dealership you've you you you've sold businesses you've created more you got new ones and you share that information with people too and you you thrive on seeing them succeed yes it's my favorite thing in the world i mean you know my favorite title of all the things and i've had like you don't even know the half of it right i mean i i have had such a forest gump Ferris Bueller life, you know, I've been on stage at the whiskey, you know, playing with 
some bands that I loved. You know, I got to do um, uh, songs with REO Speedwagon and um, uh, Night Ranger, Foreigner. Uh, I've done comedy, uh, including big clubs. I've, you know, gotten to be in uh, on on TV by happenstance. My a dear friend, a good friend, Steve. Harwell, God rest his soul, just passed away this week, uh, lead singer of Smash Mouth. Um, you know, I've been able to be backstage. I was involved with the 49ers. I was on their board for 12 years. Uh, I mean, you'd think I would have left, lived 10 lives, right? Um, and, you know, I got to, I got a call one day from one of the, um, one of the co-founders of eBay. Um, one of his folks, Jeff Skoll, was a co-founder of eBay, and a guy named Kerry Steinbeck called me up one day and said, hey, I'm Kerry Steinbeck. I manage the family funds for Jeff Skoll. We have an office here in Silicon Valley. He's considering this project having to do with automotive. We've heard a lot about you. Would you come down? Can we talk to you? So next thing you know, I'm at this boardroom with uh, you know these just super high-level smart guys, including this guy named Jan, uh, who heads up everything. But I've done businesses. I've done yeah. you know hundreds I, I of millions in business. But I just you know what it is. I really believe Arnold. The number one superpower for a human being is curiosity, and I've got the curiosity of a four-year-old since I was four years old, and it doesn't stop. I'm constantly trying to figure out how to get better, what I could possibly learn to bring more value, you know, and to be a better dad. I, this is fatherhood 2.0. I've got a seven and a nine-year-old, Jagger and Jackson. Uh, you know, I've got an amazing uh, wife, Hania, who's a badass uh, hospital-based physician. I got a great family, an older daughter, Elise and, and uh, Trey. Uh, and, you know, I just, I wanted to be a better 2.0 father than I was a 1.0. And I did some really good things there, but there was things I could absolutely do better. And so I'm constantly, you always hear people say, I, I want to be the best version of myself. Well, to me, the cool thing about life, you, you know that you could introduce yourself to the best version of yourself every night of your life, if you choose to. What makes me crazy is people talk about it as if they want to meet this person five or tw 10 or 20 years down the road. Meet them tonight. Why not meet them tonight? Because if you wake up tomorrow, first of all, if you go to bed tonight with a plan for tomorrow, with some really great objectives, some goals, with a regimen, and you go execute and you stay focused and you focus on really bringing value to somebody else and improving their life, you know, one of the things I always say in prayers is, God, please let me leave people better than I found them. Simple. Simple. You see a homeless person, say hello. You know, that was somebody's kid at some point. That was a seven-year-old kid that had hopes and dreams. You know, that was somebody's uncle, father, brother, sister. Say hello. If somebody's having a tough day at a restaurant where we are, you could tell they're struggling. They don't have enough staff. Don't beat the shit out of them. Say, listen. You're slammed. We're fine. Catch up. Do your thing. We're good. And then watch their eyes. Watch how the service gets better for everybody. You change somebody. You. you change somebody. You change somebody. So, you know, if I just can do that, if any of us can do that, 
And if I can get a little bit better in the car business, if I can help a dealer figure something out, if I can help them somehow to be hiring people when most people are laying them off, you know, or to increase people's income, you know, I can possibly introduce myself to the best version of myself every night of my life. Has that happened? No. Uh, there's times I've, I've met a worse version, uh, lesser version of me, but it's okay because to your point, you know, we're not going to achieve perfect. We're gonna strive but, for it. But I'm gonna die trying. That's right. That's all I can do. You know, one of, the, one of the, I, I think it's a good way as we wrap up is, I always ask what's an advice for people starting this business, but I think you just wrapped it up there. I think your own, your own advice to yourself is the advice for everybody else. And, and you've proven this to be a successful way of doing business. And in the automotive business or in any business, if people don't know you, they need to get to know you. If they need help, they need to talk to you. Um, you are great at strategy, at finding solutions, but you're also great at motivating and telling people, like you just said right now, look, if you're trying to be the best of yourself, don't wait till tomorrow, do it today. Right? Yeah. Do it today. When you get home today, be the best today. If you happen to have a second or a third chance, 2.0, 3.0, make 2.0 better than 1.0. Right? Make 3.0 better than 2.0. Always try to be better. What? I mean, that's, that's the advice that you can give people. It's a perfect, perfect These way people to. better than you found them. You know, do your very best to introduce yourself to the best version of you tomorrow night. Um, Start and end the day with gratitude. Don't expect to do anything you haven't worked for. You know, if you haven't put in the work, don't fool yourself with the expectation. It'll make you crazy. Um, there's so many things, if I look back on my life, it is very uncommon, unperfect, peculiar at times, hard at times life you know one of the things i have learned above all in the best of times in the worst of times in the lowest moments in the best moments in the worst event you've ever been at or the worst movie you've ever seen there's a lessons that could be learned there's something you could pull out of there and what's going to discern whether you pull that out or not is simply you you're the x factor and if you approach it thy white the right way there literally are diamonds everywhere there's gold everywhere and and at the end of the day to me we are the x factor and at the end of the day you know if we are focused on somehow some way lifting up somebody in our life today um that's what you know, you're, you're, you've, you've made a huge difference, in my opinion. So, fantastic, fantastic, David. Two things before we go. What's your all-time favorite car? Oh man! All-time favorite car. This is David's. You're talking about car, car junkie, right? I know, I know. So you know, I was born in 1959, and I feel very blessed to live through the '60s and the '70s. Um, and we had so many incredible cars in the 60s and the 70s, but you know that James Bond, Aston Martin, the original DB7, the 
the Ferrari Californian Ferris Bueller's, but I loved, you know, the 64 and a half Mustang convertible love the 68 Camaro um, loved the, what was it? 1972 um, Z28 phenomenal. I had the uh, Thunderbird, the, the uh, Firebird, the yeah. one with the yeah. a bird on it, yeah. the black one. Um, you know, then you have, good God, man, there's so many. There's some old school This is Mercedes. This is why David is an overachiever. I asked him for one car, I got seven. Well, I, I know if I if you said David, you could only have one. It might surprise people. I mean, I love Ferrari for everything they are, uh, but if I had to choose one car, it actually wouldn't be a Ferrari. It'd be a Porsche. It'd be I love the uh, Porsche 911, uh, and there's been many Porsches that I've loved, but but it's some iteration of a 911. I just love everything about that car it's a beautiful uh, car. especially Mercedes. some of the older ones really that cut was beautiful and then the mercedes for if it's a sedan it's got to be a, an s-class mercedes i've been driving them for over 30 years and it's still the best sedan on the on the planet so i really like those a lot it's a great great car all right, all right. how about how about travel favorite place to travel of all the places you've gone in the world what is your favorite to date well um, I'm a Hawaii fanatic. Um, it just does something to your pulse. It just, it just kind of your blood pressure goes down, and there's just something beautiful in the simplicity. And if it's not that, it's it's Europe. And we spent three weeks in Europe in the beginning of the summer, and my wife and I just got back from Paris and London. I love architecture and I love history um, and I love food. You know what I'm thinking about when I'm having breakfast, Arnold? Lunch. You know what I'm thinking about when I'm having lunch? Dinner. Yeah. Um, well, welcome to my world, Dave. I love food. I love food. So I, if I had to choose anywhere to go, if I could only go anywhere in the, in the world right now, it would be a battle because it would be between um, Europe and, and Hawaii. Well, and both for their reasons, right? Those are very... Different, different reasons. I get and I get both. The Hawaii, the scenery, the greenery, the beach, the water, the sand, the tranquil. Mm -hmm. right? Yes. The Europe is the, the culture, the history. You know, it gives you two different texture. It feeds the, two yes, different needs. It does. So I, I agree. I agree with and you. And you need that. kind of both sides of that. Um, what's your favorite car? Well, look, I, my favorite car is Lamborghini. You know. Uh, uh, Evo. No, Huracan. Yeah, yeah. Lamborghini so Huracan. I think so you it's, know it's the end of an era. It is. It is. Right now, that the the twenty twenty three. I sent you a picture of one the other day. That's right. You know, beautiful. I I, uh, you know, that's, I, I that's a, the car. I have a beautiful Huracan. And after that, after that, I would say Ferrari. I got a beautiful Huracan Evo that you would you would look spectacular in your driveway. Oh, the Ferrari, the SF ninety, spectacular. The Monza, the uh, I mean. There's not a bad one in the bunch. I mean, I'm not a big um, uh, the the Lusso. I never could get behind. I don't the wagon. Yeah, yeah, deal. yeah. No, I can't either. But I can't. but uh, and it's, I, it's, it's just not. Uh, in today's California, it's not my car. Uh, but I mean, pick one. 
they're all spectacular. Yeah, they are great. Do you have a favorite song to drive to? Listen, I, my favorite song, my favorite song is Chicken Fried by um, Zach Brown Band. I love that song because to me, everything he talks about in that song is America. If you listen to that song, he talks about food, ah. chicken, chicken fried. He talks about the porches, sitting on a porch, relaxing, home, your hometown. He gives honor to the vets, to yeah. the veterans, to those who served. Yep. He talks about how he loves this country. Everything, when you're driving that classic 60s and 70s car, and that music is on, and you're driving in America, there Seven. can't be anything else better than that. Yeah, I, I totally get that. I think What's your favorite song? It's like everything else you asked me. I mean, I'm just a, I, number seven. <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, you just, I think that there are songs that we all have that when they just happen to come out organically, it it literally changes your posture. It changes, puts a smile on your face. It transports you back to a period of time, you know. So I don't know. I think you know. I grew up in a in a really cool era, right? Um, and I would say, like a song that will forever make me happy is "Don't Stop Believing." Yeah, I, I, right. That was my sure. teenage years Classic. and young years. Was uh, growing up and listening to uh, Journey, you know, Boston, Foreigner, all those bands at that time. But I grew up in the '60s, just absolutely loving Led Zeppelin. Um, I learned to play guitar when I was 13. So uh, the Beatles, Led Zeppelin. Uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash, and uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix. What do you think is the best band of all time? Of all time, I'll tell you a funny story after this. What's the best band of all time? I I think that um, it wouldn't. Some people might be a hater if I didn't say it was the Beatles. I don't think it was the Beatles. I think the Beatles were magic. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I just think they were magic in a bottle, and they people don't realize how few shows they played and how short of the time they were there. But I think uh, Led Zeppelin has to be considered one of the greatest bands of all time. U2 has to be considered. And I, I, I definitely would put U2 up. And I'm a big... And, and, and how long they've lasted. Yes, and I'm a huge uh, Dave Matthews fan. Okay. He's one of the great songwriter, poets. You know, I'm a big culture ever. guy. Believe it or not, that's, the only, that's one of the few people I have not gone Ooh. to see. Dave Matthews. It's the greatest show you can see. Yeah. And people talk great about it's it. But let me tell you the story and we'll end real quick. So Jim Evans, you know who Jim Evans is? Oh, God, yeah. So Jim Evans, Evans, we were actually in Las Vegas, Jim Evans and I, uh, John Hightower, I think. Oh, and, yeah, John uh, Hightower, yeah. Who else? A couple of other people. Anyway, we were talking, and, and, and Jim Evans is a crazy Beatles fan. I mean, the, to him, the best band, the best single, the best trio, it's the Beatles. How, whatever category you want to put it, you know, and many people feel that way, right? They think Beatles is the greatest thing ever. Jim Evans the, the, was the, you know, he thought the Beatles were the best. So us to mess around with him, we winked at each other without him knowing, and we told him that Kiss was the best. <laughs> and I thought Jim was going to have a heart attack. Jim, Jim <laughs> was going to have a heart attack all night long, arguing with us about how That's could we hilarious. pick Kiss versus the Beatles. That's so funny. <laughs> he also loved, and I'm trying to remember. Jim loved another, uh, it was a guy, was it John Prine? Maybe it was somebody like that, more a way more obscure guitarist. If I'm not mistaken, I think Jim played guitar. He does. No, he sings yeah. and plays. And, and I think he's a very good guitar very. player. 
Very yeah. Yeah, that's so yeah, interesting. We, we could be somewhere where there's a piano playing and Jim will kick in. I mean, Jim yeah. Jim is a musical musical guy, so he was really offended when we were comparing that's Kiss hilarious. To, to the Beatles. But look, we're we're old and we can talk all night long. we got to end this thing at some point. Thank you for being on the what show. What a pleasure. David, you are great. Thank I love you. You're you. I appreciate kind, everything kind you've Thank you. done for appreciate me and for you. our company. And uh, here's to many more, more to years of friendship and many more years to do together. I look forward Cheers, to buddy. Cheers. Appreciate to it. To your health. Cheers. And success. Mm. Thank you for listening to Wheels, Deals, and Meals, your main source for all things good and fun, business, food, and cars. If you like this episode, make sure to rate us and subscribe. If you would like to be a guest on our show, please leave a message at the link below. Till next time, happy eating.